Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Lost in the Shuffle Tap Dance Podcast, brought to you by itaponline.com. My name is Hilary Marie. I am your host, and I am here to support you in your tap dance journey by sharing with you my top tap dance tips and tricks so you can be the best tap dancer or tap teacher that you can be. I want to help you achieve your tap dance goals, whatever they may be. Now, if you are a longtime listener, then welcome back, my friend. Do me a favor and share today's episode with a tap dance friend of yours that you think could really benefit from it. And if you're a new listener, then welcome. Be sure to subscribe so you can get notified every time a new episode goes live. Now, last week's episode was all about the differences between teaching tap classes for adults versus kids. In this week's episode, we are diving deep into improvisation, and this episode is all of your improvisation questions answered. Literally, I mean it, all of your improv questions answered. So last year, I released my Improve Your Improv course for ITAP members in the ITAP Online Member Center, but before I did, I asked over 3,000 tap dancers an important question. I asked them to write me back and share their number one question about improvisation in tap dance. And today, I'm going to share some of those questions with you and my answers. Now, before I get started, I want to give you a super quick overview of my own experience with improvisation in tap dance. Now, my first tap teachers never taught me how to improvise. The first time that I heard about improvisation was when I was a kid at an audition for the New Jersey Tap Ensemble, and Deborah Mitchell, the director, who later turned into my mentor, asked me to count in Mr. J. Leonard Oxley, the music director. She told me to call a tune, count him in, and improvise. And I thought to myself, impro what? <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. So from there, fast forward two years, and then I'm a teenager in the pre-professional company of the New Jersey Tap Ensemble, and I still have no clue how to improvise. But there we are in rehearsals, and sometimes we're working with live music, sometimes not, but we were always improvising in our performances. And in those rehearsals, it was sink or swim. No one formally taught us how to improvise. You just had to jump in and get with it or drown. And by drown, I mean your solo would be cut and you wouldn't be asked to solo again for the whole season. <laughs> Needless to say, it was pretty tough and super uncomfortable. From there, I started hanging out at the jazz clubs, specifically Skipper's Jazz Club, which was located in Newark, right on University Ave. And I would go there every week, multiple times a week. They had multiple jam sessions, they had live music every night, and that's where I would go to get my fix of jazz. But it's also where I learned so much more about improvisation. So from there, while I was introduced to improvisation through tap dance, I really learned how to understand the art of improvisation from musicians. 
So fast forwarding many years later, because of my uncomfortable and awkward introduction into improvisation, I decided to create an improv class at my studio, Grooves Unlimited Dance Studio in Livingston, New Jersey. This way, my students get 45 minutes of guided improvisation training, a whole series of exercises before they dive into their technical training. So they get a comfortable introduction and they get all of the training that I wish I'd had when I was a kid. And for many years now, I've been performing 90-minute to two-hour fully improvised duet piano performances. So I went from dreading improvisation to making it the basis of all my solo performances. I went from completely being incapable of holding my own in a jam circle to performing full-length improv shows on stage, confidently running regular tap jams, and leading workshops in improvisation. And the reason that I share that with you is to say that if you don't love improvisation right now, I don't want you to really worry about that. That can change. It can literally change in a heartbeat, in the blink of an eye, in just one moment. Just boom. You fall in love. And I love helping tap dancers fall in love with improvisation inside and out. And that's why I put together the Improve Your Improv course in the ITAP Online Member Center. And it's why I created a full improvisation curriculum for my students at Gurus Unlimited. And it's why I always teach an improv class whenever I'm a guest teacher at an event. And it's also why I asked all those tap dancers and tap teachers... What is your number one question about improvisation? So here we go. I'm going to share these questions with you and my own personal point of view answers to them. Now I've broken up these questions into the following categories. Questions about getting started. Questions about musicality. Questions about technique. Questions about teaching. Questions about tap jam etiquette and questions about working with live music. And the last category, the last question I will be answering, which is the number one question that came in, is all about fear. How to overcome the fear of improvisation. And for that, I've got an answer for all of you. But that one is last, and we've got plenty of questions to answer first. So let's get to it. Let's kick it off with questions about getting started. When is a good time to start improvisation? Today. Today, my friends, is a beautiful day to get started. There is no time like the present, and today is a great day to get to it. Next question. How will I know when I'm ready to start improvising? Well, if you've got tap shoes, then you are ready. You do not have to wait until you're at a certain level or been dancing for a certain period of time. With the right guidance, tap dancers can easily start improvising in their first tap class. Next question is, how do I even get started? I recommend that tap dancers have a structure in their improvisation practice with guided exercises. This can be something that you work on with your teacher or something that you work on with me in the ITAP Online Member Center through the Improve Your Improv course. You don't have to figure this thing out all by yourself. I want to help make it easier for you to find your voice and fall in love with the art of improvisation. Now let's move on to questions about musicality. 
This question says, how do I find the one while improvising? Finding the one is something that you need to practice outside of your improvisation, and that means ear training. You need to listen to music and practice identifying the tempo and then identifying the time signature and then finding the one. Improvisation is a culmination of all the skills that you have in your bag. So if you're struggling to identify the one while improvising, it's something that you really need to practice outside of your improvisation. And that means ear training. This next question asks, do I always have to start on one? No, you don't have to come in on the one, but if you're doing a specific exercise to practice coming in on the one, then that's the name of the game for the exercise, and you want to honor the exercise in your training because that's trying to build up your skill set. But overall, you don't have to come in on the one in your improvisation. Personally, I love coming in after the one, right on the upbeat, especially if the person before me just finished on the one. That way I can let their thought live for another moment before I respond to it and put my word in. And then the next question asks, do I always have to end on the four? No, you don't have to end on the four. So again, if you're doing a specific exercise to practice ending your phrasing on the four, then that's the exercise and you want to hone that skill. However, there's no rule as to when you have to start or stop your phrasing. Personally, I love to carry to the one and I like to really encourage my students to carry to the one as well, because that's traditional phrasing in jazz music. And jazz music is where we pull a lot of our culture in tap dance when it comes to our approach to improvisation. So there is no tap dance law that states that you must start on one and end on four. And in jazz, upbeats are king. So I don't want you to think that you have to start clean on one and end clean on four to sound hip. However, starting on one and ending on four could potentially be a good training exercise for you in your improvisation. You can also practice carrying to the one, and you can also practice holding the one and coming in after the one. But again, there is no rule that states that you must start on one and end on four. Next question asks, should I only improvise to jazz? No, you can and should improvise to whatever music brings you joy, and you should also improvise to jazz. The more you listen to jazz, the more you'll understand it, and in time, you'll fall in love with it, and you'll love improvising to it. Jazz is super important because, again, the way that we as tap dancers approach improvisation is heavily influenced by jazz music culture. So yes, you want to surround yourself with jazz, but don't lock yourself into only jazz. Next question asks, what is a good jazz standard to start with? Any 32-bar jazz standard in AABA format is going to be a pretty good place to start. This could be Take the A Train, Sunny Side of the Street, Paper Moon. From there, you can get into 12-bar blues, like Sea Jam Blues or Bag's Groove, and then keep progressing through different formats of jazz standards. Be sure that whenever you are working through a jazz standard, that you learn the melody properly. Learning a standard is part of ear training, and you really have to use your ears before you use your feet. 
So for ITAP members who really want to dive deep into learning jazz standards, I have an awesome lesson for you in the Rhythm Training for Tap Dancers course in the ITAP Online Member Center that's going to walk you through step-by-step how to really absorb these jazz standards in the best way possible, which is going to be with your ears and not with your eyes, all right? Please do not just go and look up these charts on the internet or find YouTube videos that walks you through the visual chart. You really want to learn these standards with your ears and you have to learn the melody, but it's more than just learning the melody. The melody is just the start of how you learn a jazz standard. So ITAP members, you can go ahead and check that lesson out in the Rhythm Training for Tap Dancers course in the ITAP Online Member Center. All right, next question here was a big one. And this question is, how does one approach phrasing? And my answer to that is that first, you have to understand what phrasing actually is. Because I find that a lot of tap dancers don't entirely understand the concept of phrasing. And that's part of why I created my Fast Feet and Phrasing course, where I give specific examples of phrasing. So I recommend ITAP members head to the ITAP Online Member Center to check that lesson out as well, because I give very specific examples in how phrasing applies specifically to tap dance. So it's very easy for tap dancers to understand this concept through this lesson. And with all that being said, it's not something that I can just go ahead and sum up for you here in one answer. I really want you to go ahead and get a proper lesson in phrasing, and that's available in the Fast Feet and Phrasing course. Because if you properly understand the concept of phrasing, then you will inherently know how to approach your phrasing within your improvisation. So this is another moment where people get very concerned about their skill set as it applies to improvisation, but they need to really hone that skill set outside of improvisation first so that it can really shine through in their improvisation. So remember, improvisation is a culmination of the skills that we've built up in our bag, and those skills often do need to be built up on their own outside of improvisation, and really making sure that we understand the concept of phrasing first and foremost outside of improvisation is important so that we can then pull that concept in to our improvisation practice. This next question is asking for tips on how to improvise with certain grooves, tempos, or rhythms. So similar to my previous answers here, you've got to make sure that you're comfortable with identifying different time signatures and grooves separately from your improvisation. And once you're comfortable with that, you practice it within your improvisation. You practice working your way through subdivisions at different tempos, transitioning between different subdivisions at different tempos. You practice those subdivisions against different grooves to see how they sit in the pocket differently compared to other grooves. You'll eventually learn to identify and connect to different grooves, swing versus straight, 2-3 clave, 3-2 clave. So it starts with the ears, and then it makes its way into the feet through improvisation. And the last musicality question here is one of my favorites, and it is, how do I get better at musicality in my improvisation? And my answer to that, my friends, is listen to more music with your shoes off. Open your ears and listen. 
That which you surround yourself with when you have your shoes off is just as influential in your dancing as what you listen to with your shoes on. It sounds like an easy solution to a very complicated desire, but if you want to strengthen your musicality, go and listen to more music. And I'll slip this in here and say, jazz, go listen to jazz, because jazz is the skeleton key that unlocks all doors. So that is it for all of our questions about musicality. Now it's time for questions about technique. This first question here asks, what are basic steps that you recommend we start with in improvisation? I recommend toe drops and heel drops. I have an exercise I call freedom of musicality, where I tell dancers that they can't do tap steps, they can only do heel drops. That's it. They have the freedom of musicality, but no steps are allowed. And what I love about this is that it releases their mind from getting overwhelmed on technique, and it connects them to the music, which is first and foremost, most important. And personally, I love starting my practice this way. It really gets me into a groove. The next question here asks, how do I get my feet faster in improvisation? Faster footwork is something you need to work out in your technique, because if your technical chops are up to speed, that will be reflected in your improvisation. And additionally, you need to train your subdivisions while honing your musicality, and that will also help you obtain that faster footwork. So faster footwork and improvisation is a combination of training your technique and your musicality. Now, ITAP members can check out my lesson on speed training in my Fast Feet and Phrasing course available in the ITAP Online Member Center, and that's going to give you a very specific approach to speed training your technique. And when you combine that with the exercises in the Improve Your Improv course, you'll find that you'll be able to obtain faster footwork in your improvisation with ease. All right, the next question here, honestly, I was pretty surprised by this question. I wasn't expecting it, and it came up so many times. I was pretty surprised. But the question is, how do you make sure that you don't get stuck on the wrong foot? Or another version of this question that I also received was, how do I make sure that I end on the right foot? So my answer to that is, in time, your body naturally gets hip to what it needs to do to get on the right foot, whether that's dropping a heel, doing a ball change, hitting a double heel, your body learns what it needs to do. And a good way to train that is to do, for example, two time steps and then improvise a two-bar break. It could be swinging eighth notes or triplets or sixteenth notes, or you could do whatever you want in that break. But when you finish that two-bar break, you have to push yourself to come back in on the right foot for that time step on the four or on the left foot. So you want to go ahead and get comfortable with that and then try another step or another phrase. And eventually your body will know what it has to do so that you don't even have to think about it. You're not telling yourself, double heel and I'm good. The body just problem solves on its own with muscle memory. Something like this is useful for improvography, where you have to get yourself out of your improvisation and into your choreography. Now, whenever I choreograph a piece like that, I always put my strongest improvisers in that spot, in that final improvised solo that then transitions into the choreography, because I can trust them to come back into the choreography at the right time and on the right foot. 
The next question asks, how do I avoid planning what I'm going to do in the jam circle? And this one, my friends, is an easy solution. If you are one of those people that is planning and choreographing in the jam circle, then what I want you to do is steal the step of the dancer before you. If you force yourself to steal the last step that the dancer before you finishes with, all of your plans are essentially useless. You have to stay present and you have to give your full attention and focus to that dancer in the moment. So steal that step and see where it takes you. And this next question asks, how do I break my habits of repeating the same steps and phrases? The solution to that is working on a series of practice exercises with this specific goal in mind. So in the Improve Your Improv course, I have a whole series of exercises that are specifically under a category that I like to call getting unstuck. Getting stuck is something that can be easily fixed with a curated personal practice where you set the intention of getting unstuck. You don't have to stay stuck. You can break that repetitive loop cycle of steps or phrases that you find yourself constantly repeating by curating a very specific exercise within your personal improvisation practice. So that is it for questions about technique. Let's go ahead and talk about questions about teaching. Now, before I dive into these questions about teaching, I want to say that for those of you who are non-teachers, I recommend that you still listen to these questions because the answers will still be very helpful for you. The first question here is, what age and level should I start teaching improvisation and tap class? When it comes to improvisation, it is not about age or level. It's not about when you should start teaching improvisation. Instead, it's about how you should start teaching improvisation. Improvisation should be a part of a tap dancer's journey from the basic beginner level. There is a common misconception in tap dance that a student should not be introduced to improvisation until they are at a higher level in their technical training, and this is just not true. The improvisation journey can, and in my opinion, should start immediately. So again, it's not about when you teach it, it's about how you teach it. This is also my philosophy on training tap dancers in music theory. It's not about when, it's about how, from the start. All five of the fundamentals of tap dance should be present in each and every single tap class, from the basic beginner level through the advanced professional level. The next question asks, how do I know my students are ready to start learning improvisation? And my answer to that is, if they are in tap class, then they are ready to start improvising. The next question asks, how do you get students to embrace the music and not get caught up in the fancy footwork? So first, you have to teach them music theory because they can't embrace something that they just don't really understand. So if they're not being taught time, tempo, subdivisions, melody, groove, phrasing, then there's nothing for them to embrace because their toolbox is essentially empty. And I also want to say that you need to be sure to celebrate quality musicality. Shout out your students who are sitting in the pocket. Shout out your students who are really holding down that tempo. This signals to your students that that is just as important as technique. On another note, you can easily give your students a structured set of exercises that completely pulls their focus away from the fancy footwork. 
Also, if you feel your students aren't properly executing tricks, meaning that they can't get in and out of them in a clean way, then you have to call them out on it and help them work through it. They might not realize that they're caught in the messy middle of it. And that's what you're there for, to help them work it out. So to really get your students to embrace the music and not get caught up specifically and solely in the fancy footwork, you have to teach them about music and you have to celebrate that music. The next question here asks, how do I get my students to understand that less is more? That's something that they really need to discover on their own, but you can lead them to that discovery. You can tell them till you are blue in the face that less is more, and I call this monologue-style teaching, where you're just up there, giving a speech, one way. I recommend giving your students a specific exercise that forces them to work with less, and then after that exercise, ask them, how'd it go? How'd it feel? What'd you find? And just wait and see what they have to share. Someone I guarantee you is going to say, I found I was able to say so much with so little, and that was really cool. And then another person in the circle will say, yeah, I never realized I could do so much with just step heels. So what you have to do is lead them along the path to their own discovery that less is more. Don't get caught up in monologue style teaching. Be the curator of the experience that really allows them to step back and have this realization on their own. The next question here came up a lot, and I'm not surprised because it comes up a lot in the ITAP teacher certificate program. And that question is, I never learned to improvise. Am I a fraud for trying to teach it to my students? And to that, I say, no. You can learn alongside your students. So many teachers say, I never learned to improvise, so I won't teach my students how to improvise. They can go ahead and learn it from someone else later on. And that is not a solution. That is imposter syndrome talking. And that imposter syndrome is cheating your students out of a well-rounded tap dance education. Bring improvisation into your classroom and be honest with your students. Tell them that this is new for you and you're all going on a learning journey together. It's okay to be human in front of your students. And it's also okay to allow their abilities to surpass your own. The next question here says, I only have 45 minutes in tap class. How do I fit in improvisation with everything else that I have to teach? First and foremost, I need you to remember that an awesome tap class is not measured by how much choreography your students learn. This is something that I talk about deeply in season two, episode 10, so you can scroll on back to check that out. You also don't have to run a giant jam circle to incorporate improvisation into your weekly tap classes. There are ways that you can fold it into your warm-up, or your technique exercises, or across-the-floor moments, or even your choreography. By the end of the 10-week ITAP Teacher Certificate Program, this is one of the biggest takeaways that ITAP teachers have, is that all five of the fundamentals of tap dance exist together simultaneously. They're not separate parts of tap class. They weave in and out of each other, and when you understand how that works, you'll find that you are able to cover a lot of ground in 45 minutes without sacrificing any aspect of technique, musicality, history, improvisation, or practical application. 
You can work absolute magic in 45 minutes and make improvisation a regular part of your student's tap class without sacrificing their choreography or technical progress. This next question asks, what do I do with students who had a really bad experience in improvisation with a previous teacher? I feel like no matter what I do, they will just never enjoy improvisation. Now, my friends, this is real. This happens more often than you would think. And honestly, I run into this all the time when I'm teaching improv workshops as a guest artist at studios and dance events and tap festivals. Students like this need to be reintroduced to improvisation in a different way. You can't reintroduce them to improv like it's their first time because they already had their first time. They already had their first introduction and it kind of left them a little bit messed up. So you've got to do it differently with them. In the ITAP Teacher Certificate Program, I have an entire module dedicated to improvisation, and I go way beyond what's in my Improve Your Improv course in the ITAP Online Member Center, because I'm specifically working with teachers on how to approach improvisation in their classes step by step. From working with students who've never improvised a day in their life to those who've already improvised before, including those who are comfortable with improvisation and those who had a really awful experience in their initial introduction to improvisation. And I help teachers understand how to work with all of these students in the same room at the same time, because you're more likely to have a mixed bag of improv experience in one class. But all this to say, it's extremely important that you approach improvisation differently with those who had a bad experience with a previous teacher, and you have to understand that there's no single exercise to solve this problem. Teachers are always looking for the one exercise or the magical game that they can play with their students to help them overcome challenges like this. And that's just not how it's going to work. It's a series of steps and a specific way in which you have to reintroduce your students to improvisation. And again, that's something that I cover in detail in the ITAP Teacher Certificate Program. The next question here is pretty similar, but different. And that question is, my students just don't like improv. What should I do? So first off, don't be surprised by this. Teachers will try to introduce their students to improvisation, they'll get some pushback, and then they give up. They say, oh, my students don't like it, so I'm not going to bother. I don't want them to not like tap class and quit, so we're just not doing this thing. But here's the thing. They might not like it to start. Your job is not to take people who love improvisation and get them to love it more. Your job is to help your students discover a love of improvisation and how it can help them in their personal practice. Don't let someone's initial sour attitude start to cheat them out of the opportunity to fall in love with improvisation. You have to persist and you have to bring positive energy to your classes. And in time, if approached properly, like I teach ITAP teachers to do in the ITAP Teacher Certificate Program, those students will love improvisation. I promise. This next question asks, is it possible to teach my students to not be afraid of improvisation? And my answer to that is absolutely. It has to do with how you shape the improv practice time within your class. Now remember, I'm going to speak specifically to fear and improvisation in the last question that I answer here 
on this episode, but I do want to give a super short answer that is specific to teaching and say that you can teach your students to not be afraid. And that has to do again with how you shape the improv practice time within your class, which is something that I do cover in depth in the ITAP teacher certificate program. This next question asks, how can I make improv fun for my students? Well, first, you've got to get to the bottom of why it's not fun in the first place, and I can almost guarantee that the reason it may not be fun for some people, whether that's for you or for your students or anybody else, is probably fear. And again, I'm going to cover fear in depth shortly after I answer some more questions. But I also want to share with you that my weekly improv class at Grooves Unlimited is a party. I mean, Literally, I feel like I'm not a tap teacher. I feel like I am the ultimate party hosts. My students absolutely turn up and they have the best time. And it's not because of a game or an exercise that we play. It's because of all the steps that I've taken in their improv training from that initial moment that they are introduced or in many cases reintroduced to improvisation. And all those specific steps that I've taken, they compound on top of each other to create this extra awesome and super fun experience for all of us. And you can have that too for your students. This next question asks, what do I do to help students who struggle to hear the music? And my answer to that is you train them in music theory and all of their knowledge will find its way into their improvisation. So my friends, I hope you're catching a theme here that half of the woes and challenges that tap dancers face when it comes to improvisation are easily solved with musicality training. And this last teaching question here says, how do you get your students to incorporate harder technique into their improvisation? For that, you build exercises for them that challenge them to do so. So again, there's no single magic exercise or metaphor that you can give them to unlock this. It's something that takes time and practice and a curated practice of specific exercises with this goal in mind. So you as the teacher, you set the intention, you shape the exercise, and then you have your students practice it. All right, that is it for questions about teaching. It is now time for questions about tap jam etiquette. This question asks, what do I do when I'm in a jam circle and we're all supposed to take eight bars, but the dancer before me isn't counting and runs into my eight bars? Now, this question came up a lot more than you would think it would have come up, but it was a pretty popular question. And my answer to this one is you cut them off. You just cut them off because that's how they learn. If you don't cut them off, they're never going to learn. But make sure that you know where your bars are at. Make sure that you're right and that you're not the one who's miscounting bars. All right. So if you know in your heart and soul that your bars are straight and that this person's running over into the time that's been allotted in the circle, if everybody's supposed to take eight bars or four bars, whatever it is, and they run over... Go and get your bars, cut them off, and they're going to learn in time that they're not counting properly or feeling their phrasing properly. 
Now, vice versa, this question did not come up, but if somebody stops dancing short of their bars, so let's say you're supposed to be dancing eight bars and the person before you only dances six and then they stop and they look at you, you don't just start dancing. You tell them, go ahead, finish your phrase, keep going, finish your bars. One, two, ready, my turn. I go one, two, three, four. And then you come in at the top of your phrase. So it goes both ways, whether somebody is spilling into your bars or if they're not finishing their phrase in its entirety. Now, this next question is a mix of a teaching question and a musicality question, as well as a tap jam etiquette question. So I figured I would squeeze it here. And this question asks, how does a student know when his or her trade begins and how do they know when it ends? And so to all my teachers out there, I'm going to say this is something that we have to teach our students. You can set the phrasing at the start of the tune and you can say, all right, everybody's going to get four bars. Now, whenever I set phrasing in my improv class, I like to have everybody accent the one and then clap at the end of the four bar phrase. So we might say one, two, three, here we go. We say one, two, three, four, two, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, four, two, three, hey, hey. And then that really easily trains the dancers to know when they hear that double clap at the end, that means their phrase is over. It's a wrap. And when we're accenting on the one, usually everybody's doing a heavy stomp on the one because I've taught all my students that they have to keep time while they're in the circle. So most of them are usually kind of walking it out already or dancing. So then they just go ahead and hit that stomp on the one. And then at the end of the phrase, whether it's four bars or eight bars, they'll go ahead and give that double clap. And what it's doing is training the dancers to feel that phrasing. In a situation like this, they are practicing phrasing even when they're not improvising because they're still holding time and they're still clapping at the end of that phrase. So it's really drilling in phrasing for everybody in the circle throughout the entirety of the jam. But there are ways to train yourself into feeling phrases. So in improv class, when I'm working on helping my students train their ear to feel phrases, I like to have my students dance for two bars and then hold for two bars. And they'll do that for a while. Then maybe they dance for four bars and hold for four bars. And then dance for eight bars and hold for eight bars and so on. So this is also an excellent exercise when working in a new time signature so that you can really internalize what a phrase in that time signature feels like. So all in all, the way that a student is going to know when their time starts and finishes is by training them in phrasing. So that is it for our tap jam etiquette questions. Now we are going to move on to questions about working with live music. And after this, then I will go ahead and answer those questions about fear. So the first question about working with live music is, how do I find musicians to practice improvisation with? You're going to want to start by going to jam sessions. Jam sessions can be found at jazz clubs, on college campuses, or in local parks. Do a little searching and see what you can find. You don't have to dance at the sessions to start. And in fact, I recommend that you don't go and dance your first time. I recommend that you go, check it out, listen, learn how the jam is run, and get comfortable with it, and then connect with the people who are there. After you've had a chance to check out the jam and you understand how things are run, then go ahead and participate in the jam. 
But again, what's really important is that I want you to connect with the people who are there because the people who are there are there specifically because they like to jam. They like to practice. They like to connect with people. So you want to find those people and you want to connect with them. Trade phone numbers. Tell them that you're a tap dancer and you want to shed with someone. Be honest with them about your level of improv experience and see if they're down for a shed session. Now, using the words shed session is helpful because it lets them know, one, this is not a gig, and two, this is not a private lesson. So that means no money is being exchanged. You just want to connect and practice with someone. In time, you'll find yourself practicing with live music more often at jam sessions and inside shed sessions that you put together with people that you've met at jams. And eventually, when you do a gig, you'll have friends that you can call for the gig, friends that you've worked with before. The next question here asks, how do I talk to the band before improvising? Other versions of this question that also came in include, how do I quickly tell the band what we're playing and who's doing what? And how specific do you get with the band as far as the format of the song or the piece or the number? So here we are once again, where improvisation training does not help to solve this challenge music theory training does. So this really is a music theory training question that bleeds its way into improvisation, specifically because of the desire to improvise with live music. Now, the way that you speak to the band before improvising is going to depend on how well you personally speak the language of jazz. And this is also assuming that the musicians you're working with speak the language of jazz. So I'm going to answer this question with the assumption that the musicians that you are working with know and understand how to play jazz. At the most basic level, you're going to introduce yourself to the whole band. You're going to look them all in the eye, share your name. If you can, shake their hand, but sometimes that's not possible because the bandstand can be a little bit crowded with wires and instruments and people, so it's fine if you just nod, make eye contact, and say hello and introduce yourself. Then you're going to tell them what song you want to play. And again, make sure everyone knows what song you're calling. It is a drummer's absolute pet peeve when someone calls a tune and only speaks to the trumpet player and the bass player and the pianist and leaves the drummer in the dust. So make sure everybody knows what tune you're calling. From there, you can speak out a short arrangement. You can say something like, hey, I'm going to count it in. We'll play the head together. I'll solo on the next two choruses. And then as you get more comfortable with the language of jazz, you can say, I'll count it in. We'll play the head together. I'll solo on the next chorus. Then I'll solo a second chorus with stop time. And then we can all come back together on the bridge. And then as you get more comfortable, you can call trades, specific endings things like that. But something important to point out here is the way you call a tune depends on where you're dancing. If you're at a musician's jam session, you wouldn't call a tune, hit the head, dance two choruses of a solo, hit stop time, then some trades, then go back to the head and finish the tune. That's what tap dancers do at a tap jam. But if you do something like that at a musician's jam, you just hogged the whole tune and no one else got to solo but you. And people come to jam sessions to practice tunes. 
Yeah, they want to practice their chord changes too, but they don't want to come just to accompany vocalists and a tap dancer like you. They want to get theirs in. They want a solo too. So depending on the context, you might just call the tune, count it in, hit the head, solo for a chorus or two, and then lay out until the end of the tune, which will come as all the musicians make their rounds and get their solos in. Now, eventually, when you get really comfortable with the language of jazz, and this is something that comes with many, many years of studying jazz as it applies to tap dance, you can get to a point where, depending on who you're playing with, you won't need to work anything out ahead of time at all. You could just go up there, say hey, introduce yourself to everyone on the bandstand, call a tune, count it in, and call out the structure along the way. And this is how most band leaders play standards. You could even say, hey, I want to play my favorite things, but in a 4-4 bossa. One, two, three, here we go, say boom-dum-dum-dee-dum, shagadino pat da da dee da And then you could take it from there and let the piece just take shape. But again, that's something that you've got to work your way up towards, though, because again, it is a language and a language that you need to learn. And it takes time and practice to learn, absorb it, understand it, and develop it. So I'll give you guys a quick example of this. The last time I was performing at Dizzy's Club Coca-Cola for Jazz at Lincoln Center with Wyclef Gordon, he called me on the bandstand. I called the tune, counted it in, and from there, we just glanced at each other. We would nod, make eye contact, and that's how we knew what was next. That's how we would know who's taking a solo or who's trading. Now, if I want stop time, I put my hand up and I drop it down on the one right at the top of the phrase while I'm soloing, and then they know what that means, and they know that I want a hit right there. Now, sometimes Wyclef will call stop time while I'm dancing if he feels it, which is cool because he's the band leader and he's curating the energy and the vibe on the bandstand. Now, if I want to wrap up the tune, I'll hold my fist up, and that's the universal language for taking it back to the head. At the end, if I circle my finger around, that can mean that we're doing a tag. Or I could just dance a common ending. I could dance a Duke Ellington ending, a Count Basie ending, an Ahmad Jamal ending, and the band will catch it, and they'll go with me on it. But that's because I'm hitting the ending at the right place at the right time, and they're listening to me like a musician, not because I told them I'm a musician, but because I dance like a musician. Now, if all of this sounds like gibberish to you, that's okay. It means that you need to work on your understanding of music theory as it applies to tap dance and your relationship to working with musicians. It all comes in time, so I don't want you to feel overwhelmed by any of the vocabulary that I'm using right now. And remember, the way that you get there is by studying jazz. And like I've said a number of times so far, remember that music is a language. Jazz is a language. It's a dialect. And it takes time to get comfortable and fluent with that language, and your level of fluency can range. Maybe you're just conversational. Maybe you've got all the grammar on lock. Remember, it can range. But studying jazz is one of those things that you do with your tap shoes on and your tap shoes off. And studying jazz is one of the highest positive impact actions that a tap dancer can take to growing in their improvisation. 
Now this next question asks, what do you say to musicians before playing with them if they've never played with a tap dancer before? So personally, again, this is my request, I will personally ask them to play with me and to avoid the desire to just drop into stop time. I really don't like when musicians do that to me, when, you know, the tap dancer comes onto the bandstand and then just boom, they drop out entirely. I love harmony. I love chord changes. I love melody. It really drives me. And so when they just drop out, I I feel... I don't know. I just feel, eh. It doesn't mean that I don't like stop time, right? There's a time and a place for stop time. Sometimes you want it because the energy is right. Other times you want it because the sound isn't set up for you and you want to make sure that the band and the audience can hear you. But if those aren't challenges that I'm overcoming in that moment, then I like to play with the musicians and I really want them to be with me. So that is one thing that I will ask. I'll just say, hey, listen, don't just drop out into stop time, you know, play with me. I'll also tell them to treat me like a horn player, but again, that's not something that I recommend all tap dancers say. I say that because that's how I like to solo. I like to hit the melody on the head and carry a solo just like a horn player. And then I'll lay back and play a groove like a drummer, but I don't say to them, I'm just like a drummer because I'm not. I solo like a horn player and I comp like a drummer. And I've spent a lot of my time learning horn solos and shaping my phrasing in that way. So again, it's not something that I recommend all tap dancers say. It's just something that I say. And when I relate it to being like a horn player, they just look at me and they're like, oh, sweet. Yeah, cool. Totally makes sense. And they understand how to approach this instrument, the instrument of tap dance that I am playing that they've never worked with before. So those are the two things that I will personally ask for when working with musicians who've never worked with a tap dancer before. I will ask them to play with me and not just drop out into stop time, and I will ask them to treat me like a horn player. This next question asks, what do you do when you go to a jam and they won't let you dance? Now, I've run into situations where I go to sit in at a jam where tap dancers have come through before, and the band leader says, Nah, 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 nah. We don't let tap dancers sit in. And I ask, why? What's up? And usually they say, they just don't know what they're doing. They go up there, they dance a whole tune. It's always a mess. And I say, hey man, I'm sorry that happened. It's something that we're working on educating people about in the tap dance community. But I play with so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And you can trust me to sit in right. And that usually right there takes care of it. Now, sometimes they'll say that the owner has told them that they're not allowed to have tap dancers on the bandstand because the last tap dancer messed up the floor. And I say, no problem. I got my own floor. And I always bring my own floor. Before I had fast foots, I had a small two foot by two foot floor that would live in the trunk of my car. It's actually still there. And I would pull that out whenever I needed it. And to be honest, I prefer bringing my own floor every time, even if they have a wood floor at the club, because sometimes the floor is laid on concrete and it really hurts my body to tap dance on. So I always have a floor in the trunk of my car. Now, if you run into this situation where you go to a jam and they don't want to let you dance, then what I really recommend is just asking why. Say why, what's up? you know, what happened, and see what the deal is. And then ask yourself if you have the skill set and the ability to not 
run into that problem like the previous tap dancer did. So if they say, you know, the owner just doesn't want people dancing on the floor and you have a floor in your car, then no worries, problem solved. But if they say, you know, the tap dancer couldn't keep time and you're like, nah, I'm good. You know, you can keep time and you're comfortable, then go for it. But if they say that the tap dancer just didn't understand the format of the jam and didn't know enough tunes or didn't understand, I don't know, the language of jazz, essentially, and you feel that you're not strong enough just yet, then just don't dance right now. Continue to attend the jam, and like I said before, learn the format of it, get to know the people, and work your way up to then being able to dance at that jam. So that is it for the working with live music questions, and now we are on to the last and final question of this episode, and that question is all about fear. How do you get over feeling embarrassed or nervous or scared? Now, you guys, I understand the fear. I empathize with it because I've been there before. Fear of judgment, fear of failure, fear of not being good enough, fear of overwhelm in all that there is to learn and not enough time to learn it all in just one lifetime. The fear is real. And those feelings of embarrassment and nervousness and being scared, those were heavy for me too. And then one day, and I literally mean this, one day, I just let it go. I asked myself the same questions that I'm about to ask you right now. What is there to be afraid of? What is the worst thing that is going to happen? And what are the consequences? You're going to fall off beat, and then what? You have to hang up your tap shoes and hand back your tap dance fan club card? No! There's nothing to be afraid of in your improvisation practice, even if you're sharing that improvisation practice with others in the form of a tap jam, a shed session, or even a live performance. Now that doesn't mean you should go out and perform an improvised performance that you haven't trained for. Remember, that's something that you train for and work towards. But think about this. For some reason. Everybody expects themselves to have a natural ability to improvise like tap dancers who train hours each and every day for many, many years honing their improvisation skills. They think that it's some magical innate ability, something that a dancer is inherently born with, and that's just not true. It's a skill. It is a skill that is learned and practiced and shaped over time. You just weren't in the room when those dancers that you look up to and admire were practicing and shedding long, hard hours to hone their practice. You've got to release that fear, no matter what form it's taking. Maybe it's comparisonitis, because comparisonitis is fear. Feeling like you don't know enough steps is fear. Feeling like you will never be good enough is fear, and fear, my friends, is sneaky, and it manifests itself in many ways. So clear the fear, my friend, and watch yourself completely unleash and flourish in your improvisation practice. I promise you, if you can release that fear, if you can clear that fear, it will serve you in your improvisation practice more than you can ever imagine. 
So that is it for today's episode, you guys. Those are all the questions that came my way. Now, what's super interesting about these questions is that I had well over 300 responses to sort through, and the questions that I received were all very similar. So I hope that you find comfort in not only having a safe space over here at itaponline.com to ask your questions, but also in knowing that many other dancers had the same questions as you. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. This episode was originally supposed to mark the end of season two, but after recording this episode, I thought to myself, mm, wait, I've got just one more thing that I really want them to have. So next week, I will be sharing with you the final episode of season two of the Lost in the Shuffle Tap Dance podcast, and that last episode is going to be a surprise. Until then, I'm wishing you all the best, and I'm looking forward to sharing shuffles with you super soon in the ITAP Online Member Center. Hey, hey, real quick. If you want more free tap dance tips and tricks, go to itaponlinecommunity.com to join our free ITAP Online Community Facebook group. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at itaponline and follow me on Instagram at Tap. H-I-L-L-A-R-Y-M-A-R-I-E-T-A-P. Now, if you're ready to achieve your tap dance goals, whatever those may be, and you want access to my best tap dance content, then head over to itaponline.com slash trial for two free weeks of unlimited access to everything that the ITAP Online Member Center has to offer. That is two free weeks of live Zoom classes, Q&A chats, Zoom class replays, all of my courses, which include Tap Dance 101, Historical Choreo, Improve Your Improv, Fast Feet and Phrasing, Rhythm Training for Tap Dancers, and more, and direct access to me for mentorship, guidance, and feedback. Be sure to go to itaponline.com slash trial for two free weeks of unlimited access to the ITAP Online Member Center, and you'll have instant access to my best tap dance tips and tricks.